Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer coming to you from Cat Swamp Road in Warren County, New Jersey. And all good wishes and well wishes and blessings to all of you that are listening, that your things are going well for you today, not only on your farm or ranch operation, but even, but for those, not even, but in other aspects of your life or those that don't farm or ranch. So I, uh, always always want to wish you all the best life has enough challenges that come to it uh on its own that we have to really be grateful for the days when the challenges seem to be very little or the or they're not even apparent right so it's the mouse in the house at night when during the night when it's quiet the mouse in the house seems so loud and then during the day when there's the hustle and bustle of life even on the farm where there's no noise or traffic or anything or neighbors uh you don't hear the mouse in the house and i always felt that that was a good metaphor for life that if the little things really get to you, it's because you're blessed in so many other ways that there's nothing big to um, to really impact you and i tell my wife that and they said you know god forbid if you know if your child or you're diagnosed with cancer or something like that, then all of a sudden, the, you know, the, the bill that came in the mail or the thing that got messed up or the dent in the car really doesn't seem to be uh, that important anymore. But uh, that is, I guess, my tip for the day, right? All right. Uh, so let me see what else I wanted to talk to you about. Well, uh, uh, I, I'm disappointed, and I say that respectfully and humbly, is that I have no pins to put in the map this week. So no one has reached out to me as a listener. And uh, so I know everybody's busy there in harvest and things are going on. I know it's burdensome to send me an email where you're from, but I would appreciate it if you do take the take, a, you know, 30 seconds or so or a minute and send me an email at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and tell me where you listen from. And then I could put a pin in my map and get an idea of where my audience is and Please know that that's not self-serving, excuse me, on my side, is that I like to find out uh, where my audience is so I could also uh, target my my podcasts and my radio show to those uh, to the needs of, of the people that are listening. So, uh, for instance, arguably to make a ridiculous uh, assessment, let's say 99% of my audience lives in Florida or in Hawaii. And then obviously, you know, talking about something in the winter or snow or ice or cold starts at 10 below zero or 20 below zero, that's really not, that would be just like an FYI for them, but would bring them no intrinsic value. And, you know, and likewise, so if I have an idea, when I teach, when I do a seminar, it's well not so much an agricultural seminar because you bring the people in from that particular area or you know that they're all in agriculture in some way shape or form but when i do it autumn well specifically for many years i taught a class for axel digital fuel injection which was a division of, of net general motors of uh, mr gasket and it was the dealer training program it was called emic engine management installation center and uh what I would do is I would always I would always um, ask the class to go around. We only had maybe twenty people, twenty five people in the class. We kept it below twenty five because otherwise it got out of control. And these were all people who were in the business, so it was it was um, industry training. And I'd ask them where they're from, what their business is focused on, what their background is, and what they were hoping to get from the class. Because even though I had a curriculum, but if I knew where people were from, so for instance. I was teaching programmable fuel injection. And if I knew that there were people in the class that lived in Colorado, let's say, or Montana up in the mountains, then there was aspects of the controller that I wanted to reveal to them that somebody who lives in uh, Ohio would really never use and didn't want to complicate it. So for instance, like I say, going to those high altitude states, so you could live in Montana or Idaho or any one of those areas with the, mount- with the mountains, real mountains, and you could have a customer that lives up in a mountain at 10, 12,000 feet, but drives the vehicle, whether it's a car, truck, or what have you, and drives it down to 1,000 feet each day. So there's tables inside the fuel injection you would need to know for altitude compensation, whereas somebody who was from working on calibrations from Michigan or Indiana or New Jersey, that the altitude range was not there. 
So if it's not there, then it's something that they don't need to be concerned with. So that's really what I want to find out from you guys. I want to try to find out where you're from, what you're doing, so that I could give you a better learning experience, both on the Idle Chatter podcast, my radio show, Farm Machinery Digest Radio, and Sirius XM Channel 147, and then also on my website, so I could I could have articles that are going to be geared towards, um, you know, what, what I'm putting out now is I feel from my experience that you need to know, but there's going to be things that you need to know that I don't know that you need to know, and I would like to be able to, if that makes sense, right, that I would like to deliver them to you. So that is basically that, and we're going to uh, obviously have a toolbox test question, and I'm reverting back to test number one because it's been a while since I've been there, and I have to create a new toolbox test. I haven't created a new toolbox test for the website for a little bit now, so I have to create a new toolbox test, but I will be, so the, today, today's show, excuse me, and possibly next week's show, I will be working off a test number one, and then I'm going to do uh, do a new test. I think I have 23 or 24 tests out there, so I have to do, uh, make, create a new, a new test, and then I'll be working off of that. So uh, if you heard this question, that's fine. Answer it again because it's considered repetition. And the way, you know, the audience is growing, and once again I'm saying that humbly, that this question probably a good portion of the audience has not learned, or not learned, has not heard. And uh, so thank God, you know, the Lord is blessing this. Uh, I was going to say this show, this ministry, because in so many ways I look at it as a ministry uh, to be able to educate the people in agriculture and people in other aspects of business that deals with machinery to be more profitable. So I look at it as a as a ministry, not an educational thing. And uh, he is blessing it, and it's growing, thank God. And we are now, and I'm saying this again humbly, I use that word because I don't want to be thinking I'm bragging. But we are, Idle Chatter is one of the top five, top five percent, not top five, that I said that wrong, in the top five percent of podcasts in the world, according to a, uh, a site, I think it's called Listen Notes, and it's, it supposedly is the Niels, like the Nielsen rating of podcasts, and believe it or not, there's like 2,600,000 podcasts in the world. And, uh, well, I would say probably half of those did one show and fell off the radar, but whatever. But they contacted me a few weeks when we were in Harvest and said I was in the top 5%. So that's all thanks to you. And I may have even told you this in the show a couple of weeks ago, but that is thanks to you. But I want to do my best to serve you and give you the most value. So please contact me. I put a pin in my map so I can then look at the map, have a visual, say, okay, I got a lot of listeners in Montana. I got a lot of listeners over here. And I know, obviously, everyone is not going to contact me. <laughs> so uh, I know that, but I could I could get a sampling of where everyone is coming from. So uh, that would be great. And I greatly, greatly appreciate that. So let me see. There was something else I wanted to go over with you. Oh, well, we'll have the toolbox test. I started to say that. And then we're going to have a letter here. And this gentleman, and I don't believe I answered this letter. I may have got, and I need to apologize if I kind of mess some things up. I mean, not messing them up, technically telling you the water flows uphill. But when we were deep in harvest, I, it, I, I got kind of, uh, I guess the word is confused, right? I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to candy coat it or make excuses for myself. And, 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 and I call him Jeff, but it's Joff, Jeff and Sally McMullen from Atwood, uh, Atwood, Ontario, Canada. They had contacted me and I put a pin in my map for them and I thanked them for that. And Jeff, Jeff also ordered, uh, ordered, uh, sent me a note about a, uh, a 318 that he has in a Dodge Ram pickup truck. So that's going to be our reader's letter today of a special delivery and i had planned on answering this and i what i try to do so you can understand the method to my madness if some there's a, there's a certain per, uh, quickly there's a certain percentage of the audience that just listens to the podcast there's a certain and uh, there's a certain uh part of the audience that listens to the radio show and there is some overlap of both that to listen to both the radio show and the podcast so what i try to do is answer the letter to the to the genre in the in the genre that that person listens to so i believe that 
that uh, that Jeff or Jaffa, excuse me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I think it's Joff, uh, listens to the podcast. So I was going to answer his letter, but then I may have done it on the radio show. So forgive me, now we're out of harvest. I should get my I should get my train back on the track and not have those uh, faux pas. But hey, I'm only human, right? The only thing that was perfect was nailed to a cross over 2,000 years ago, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so what is today's show going to be about 10 minutes into it? That's not too bad for me, right? But 10 minutes, also, I just want to say another thing is that the two cats are sleeping in my office. So hopefully, God willing, they don't wake up. I don't want to say their names because I may wake them up because it's a a damp, it's not really raining, like misting, heavy mist. It feels like a real autumn type of day, but it's supposed to be warmer later in the week. But I guess they just want to be in here, so I don't want them to uh, come in here and start to uh, play with the wires or step on the soundboard like they've done in the past. So hopefully, God willing, we can get through the show. But for those of you that are old, those of you that are older, you may very well remember the J.C. Whitney Company. I believe they were in Archer Avenue in Chicago. And I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Archer Avenue because we always used to get those catalogs. That is, and as a young boy, we used to get those catalogs. I think my father bought a couple of things from J.C. Whitney. I believe they used to have a card in Popular Mechanics or Popular Science magazine that if you uh, filled it out, you'd get a free catalog. So uh, for, for whatever it may be, for whatever reason was, we always got those into our house and the J.C. Whitney catalog, and they were... Uh, in black and white they had a color cover and it was there they had everything under the sun there and he, he, um, even as a kid you kind of perceived that most of it was probably junk but i mean no matter what you wanted they had their automotive wise automotive and truck wise they didn't have anything for tractors that i farm tractors that i could recall but they had it broken it broken down into sections and for years we got those catalogs and they must have spent a fortune printing those catalogs because it seemed that they every month or every couple of months you always got a new jc whitney catalog of even sooner they would change the cover but everything else and then sometimes they had new i mean i shouldn't say they didn't they had a new product section they're a very dynamic company and as i said over the years my dad i remember we bought a carburetor kit a couple of times from them we may have bought something else but my cousin, uh, I had two cut. We have three cousins, and two of them are a lot older than I am. So growing up, them I think sixteen or seventeen years older, maybe eighteen years older. They weren't twenty years older, but they uh, everybody growing up, everybody thought that they were my uncle because you figure, arguably, if I was fifteen and they were almost twenty years old, they were in their early thirties. So uh, my one cousin, John. My other cousin, Paul, who was older than him, they were two brothers, lives out in Washington State, and he married a dairy farmer's daughter. And my cousin, John, who, like I said, who was 15, 16 years older than I was, was into Volkswagens. So I guess he was like, in in some ways, he was like a big brother to me because I didn't have a big brother and I always wanted a brother growing up that was into cars and we could do stuff and pull motors out together and I had a sister, so I wasn't blessed with that aspect of it. And like my wife says, who knows if the brother would have been what you wanted him to be and lots of times they're not, so or, or I could not have been the brother that he wanted to be. Maybe he was into baseball and I was into cars. So anyway, so I was influenced by my cousin, john who was older than i am and he for some reason he got into volkswagens and he had a bug and then he got a common gear remember 69 common gear this is years ago and it was a pretty nice car and uh so i you know i would kind of pal around with him and so because of that he influenced me and even though i was always an american car type of guy i loved all kinds of cars but i'd have to say the only foreign car i ever embraced was a volkswagen and then uh an old volkswagen air cold volkswagen and i mean that was probably due to my that not probably was due to my exposure with him with the volkswagen so anyway, the J.C. Whitney catalog had a whole section, of Volkswagen section. They were very big in Volkswagen parts, but they had, they had everything under the sun there. And I, before I did the show today, I looked them up, and sadly, they went out of, they, go, they were sold, and I think they went out of business seven or eight years ago. But they were around from, the, I think, the 30s or 40s. If not, I'm not that old, but um, like I always remember J.C. Whitney. But the point that I'm trying to tell you is that even as a kid looking through it, they had this section 
and I don't know how they categorized it in the in the catalog, but they, <laughs> I'm laughing because this was uh, every they had anything that any ailment that your engine or your transmission had in a vehicle they had some sort of chemical and usually they were like in pill form and either had these gel capsules that came in a bottle almost like a vitamin bottle or they had these actual little looking pills like vitamin pills and if you had a, a leaky rear main seal boom they had you know they had some sort of medicine for it they and it was akin to probably you know back in the uh the old days the uh the the black salve the elixir salesman right with a covered wig and it would go town to town in the 1800s early 1900s and no matter what you had you had you had arthritis he gave you the same elixir you had cancer gave you the same elixir you had a headache you got the same elixir well they had all these things and i was really i didn't figure that i figured that didn't work even as a little kid, so how can this work? But yeah, I mean, you don't know. It's like, I mean, it's like an automotive version of Santa Claus, right? I mean, is he real? Who knows, right? And when you're a little kid, you don't really, you kind of say, this doesn't sound kosher. That's an East Coast term. It doesn't sound kosher, but who knows, right? Maybe, hey, the world is a big, interesting place and you're seven or eight years old or 10 years old. But they always used to have some sort of illustration and they never had an actual photograph or a testimonial. So it was illustration. So let's say if your car was burning oil, that they had this pill and it have an illustration of a car and uh, it would smoke coming out of tailpipe, it says before and then after you put the pill in the oil, then you know, no smoking. Or, you know, with a lot of power now, it shows the car, uh, you know, speeding away. So they had all these illustrations, but they had a pill or it was either a liquid, it was either a pill or a capsule almost like a gel capsule for anything. So they had it for leaky rear main. You needed a ring job. You didn't have to put rings in a motor. You just called up J.C. Whitney, right? Or sent them a check in the mail and you bought these pills and you put in your oil. So no matter, you know, no matter what problem the car had, you had a transmission that was slipping. No problem. We had a pill for <laughs> We had a pill. I guess they were probably ahead of the game because today they do that with people. Oh, you got No matter what, you have a pill, right? Your meds, they call it. And the thing is that so you're grinding gears in manual transmission. No trouble. We got a, we got a pill for that. And, uh, and I guess you could really rebuild your whole car with these little bottles. So what that brought me to, <clears throat> I was reminiscing about that. And I, that brought me to the topic of today's show. And the topic of today's show is, is legitimate, legitimate fixes that come in a, I'm going to say a bottle or a, or a liquid or a pill for, well, probably liquid, liquid today. And unlike the things, I'm not going to propose that you could redo a ring job with a bottle of pills from J.C. Whitney, but with the complexity of today's engines, both diesel and gasoline, there's a lot of dynamics that are occurring that did not happen years ago. And so, and there are a lot of chemicals that are available to help tune up an engine. And really, to tell you the truth, and I'm going to use the word tune up, I'm using it loosely, because years ago on a gasoline engine, a tune-up was spark plugs, breaker points, condenser, uh, possibly a distributor cap, clean the carburetor, right, adjust the carburetor, set the timing, what have you, and then an older pump line nozzle diesel. It was probably more changing the fuel filters and uh, making sure there's no leaks, and really they didn't require too, too much maintenance compared to a gasoline engine, and that was one of the of the benefits of a diesel and remember back in the 70s when the energy crisis hit and you had companies like Mercedes and Peugeot and then General Motors with their diesel engine and a couple other little uh, offshoots. I know that that Dodge used a Nissan diesel in some of their pickup trucks and uh, and what have you. That one of the things they would say, no more tune-ups. And uh, so in essence, if you look at it today, that the, the cart and the horse almost flipped because back years ago with the pump line nozzle diesel engines there was really very little maintenance to do uh service maintenance and then on a gasoline engine there was much more maintenance because of the ignition system than the carburetor and the fuel system and what have you and then it kind of flipped that the gasoline engines today have over the years have gotten 
to be less demanding as far as maintenance is concerned. And as we added all these emission controls and electronic controls and removed the pump line nozzle system from a diesel engine, is that they became more demanding of service. So uh, that is how it flipped. But there's a lot of dynamics, excuse me, a lot of dynamics today that did not exist in either application of a spark ignition engine or a compression ignition engine and believe it or not there are some jc whitney sadly they went out of business because they would have loved it this was their time there's a lot of wonderful wonderful elixirs for lack of better term that that i don't want you to turn your back on because if you're old enough to remember the jc whitney catalog you can say ah that's a blow hooey a snake snake oil or whatever foo-foo dust wherever you were in the country you were from whatever kind of term you had so uh but today these are legitimate chemical applications to cure not to rebuild an engine but to cure a condition that ha- that is very very common today so that is what today what the show is going to be about and hopefully that you enjoy it and you find value in it and apply these chemical technologies and we have to look at the world and before I get it, and I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to go through them. It's an eclectic order, so it's not going to be in any particular particular order. It's going to be eclectic, jumping around, and I'll explain each one. So, the thing is that we have to realize that the world knows a lot more today. We know a lot more about a lot of things, and we know a lot less about a lot of things also. But you know, people look at it, and they say, "Ah, oh, well, you know, years ago, and yes, it was years ago. It was a different story." But years ago, the things were more simplistic. And years ago, we didn't have plant genetics like we have today, where yield winners are getting 600 bushels of, of corn and 200 bushels of beans. All right, we don't, we don't have engines that are going three, four, 500,000 miles. I mean, so we did learn how to do things better. But like anything in life, just like a society moved from the horse and buggy to the car, well, when the horse got sick, the horse had different problems than a car would have. The car, we could say it got sick, but it, it got sick in a mechanical sense instead of a physical sense like an animal or a human being. So as as these, as these technology and got, in, got integrated into engines and transmissions on both farm machinery, trucks, cars equipment on the farm is that it brought a host of different issues that we did not have before so a lot of the old issues went away but we replaced them with new one and if you really look at it, that's kind of the story of life right you trade one problem for for another so uh so that is that's where we're at so i will be going through this list and i made a list over here like i said there are no no particular order and uh I, in some of these, I will I will mention some brand names because that is the brand that I am familiar with and had success with, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only brand of elixir, right? That you can use, but I will I will point out the or, or give you the bullet points of the qualifications of for the elixir, right? That you need to that that you need to have because just like years ago, there's a lot of different products out there that claim to do something and they do not. So, uh, with any without any further ado, we shall get into this. All right, the first thing that I want to talk about is a a product from. From Redline, Redline Company, and the last I looked, they were still in business, and there may be some others out there, called Water Wetter. And what Water Wetter is, is that we have to understand that, and I did a, if you're, if you're a radio show listener, <coughs> excuse me, I'm just going to clear my throat, <coughs> excuse me, that um, I did a show a couple of weeks back on Sirius XM about surface tension of a liquid. So what water wetter basically is, it's a surfactant. And what surface tension of a liquid, without going through that whole show, basically is the force that is required to move this to move this liquid along. So in essence, it's the surface tension of a liquid is its friction against the surface that it's that it's traveling across, be it a pipe, be it a water jacket in a cylinder head or what have you. And it's red in dines per centimeter. And if you look at pure water, 
because this is called water wetter. I believe water has a dynes per centimeter reading of 72. The higher the number, the more force is required to push it along. And ethylene glycol and water has a surface tension reading of about 56. So it's more slippery than, than water is. And that's why years ago they used to say that antifreeze would find a leak where water wouldn't. It's because the surface tension of the antifreeze is lower. And we're going to use the word slippery. It's really not slippery. It's easier to move along. All right. So a good way of thinking of surface tension is you could think of a dry road and you could think of uh, a road that has uh, wet ice on it, black ice, right? It's a lot easier to slide on black ice than it is on a dry road. But, but so you could think of surface tension that way. But in essence... What happens is that this water wetter product is considered as a surfactant. And you could look at it in simplistic terms, you could look at a surfactant as a soap that doesn't make any bubbles. So what it is, is a surface tension reducer. And if you put this in with your with your coolant, which of course it's coolant, it's antifreeze and water mixed together, right? Ethylene glycol, I should say it's a glycol, whether ethylene or propylene glycol or a combination of, and water mixed together, which makes it a coolant. And we call it, you know, antifreeze, but it's really a coolant. And what this water wetter product does, and it works very, very well, it's, and it comes in a little jar, it's little pink, little pink crystals that you put into the cooling system. And what it basically does is that it reduces the surface tension of the coolant. And it, whether, whether the coolant is going to be pure water or ethylene glycol and water. And because of the surface tension being reduced of the coolant is that it's able to allow the coolant to move easier through specifically the cylinder head of the engine that's where the hottest part that's where all the work is of the engine and in in an engine when an engine is working on the high thermal load that the coolant actually boils and this that's called nucleate boiling and i've done shows about that <clears throat> and what happens is that that's this the the boiling of the coolant is what removes this nucleate boiling removes the heat from the cylinder and then the coolant is going to boil and when it boils it goes from a liquid state to a gaseous a vaporized state a rarefied form and the thing is that the the coolant now needs to be able to this boiled coolant this nucleate boil needs to be pushed away from that site where it boiled and it needs to recondense and allow fresh coolant or coolant that's behind in still liquid form to be there because if it were to stay there it would not absorb any more heat because once it becomes a gas and boils it cannot the amount of btus of heat energy that it could absorb is minimal and then you get a hot spot in the cylinder head so what this water wetter does <clears throat> which is a surfactant it doesn't change the nucleate boiling it changes the surface tension of the coolant so there's so the surface so the coolant that is prior to the boiling site has more energy in it to push this gaseous mixture away and let it recondense into liquid so it's something that you may want to consider using we used it years ago in the hot rod shop it works very very well it doesn't hurt anything it wasn't expensive but it, it is an elixir that works. So it's called, it's by Redline Company, and hopefully it is still in business. I should have looked it up, but there may be some competitors to it. And really, it's not, it's not, it's not magic. It's not, and the same thing happens in agriculture. Like I use a product called Wex from Conklin Agro, Agro Advantage, whatever it's called. And it's basically a surface tension reduction. And I use it with my pre-emerge. So my pre-emerge is able to, to wick down into the soil excuse me, easier without having an inch of rain. So maybe a half inch or a quarter of an inch will get it down into the soil. And it's a surface tension reducer. So water wetter is something that would pay great dividends on all types of equipment. Now, you may not see it so much on a temperature gauge, but the cylinder head would know it. And that is what the most important thing is. All righty. The next thing that I want to talk about, and these are all repair solutions in a bottle, right? Elixirs in a bottle, so they're taking care of a condition. They're not rebuilding your engine and taking care of the condition. And, you, and if you listen to my show, you know I've spoken. I use the term ad nauseum. I beat you to death about advertising your diesel fuel. 
But as far as, and that's making the fuel to make the fuel a, be, to make it a better fuel to combust in the engine. But we're not talking about that today. We're not talking about the combustion aspects of it. We're going to talk about the cleaner aspect of it, the cleaning aspect of it, the detergent aspect of it. And there is a lot of products that are good products that are diesel additives that are injector cleaners. So in essence, I'm not talking today about about lubricity, about cetane, about anything. We're talking about repairing. So instead of taking the injectors out of the engine on a diesel and sending them to a pump shop or on a common rail diesel electronic, sending them to a shop and having them ultrasonically cleaned, is that you could keep the injectors clean keep them clean in the engine remember a clean injector is going to respond properly and it's going to not only have the quick proper response time it's going to do the best job of atomizing the fuel and on a mechanical diesel they have what they call pop-off pressure that's the amount of pressure that has to be built up from the injection pump for the injector to open up and i'm not going to say that if the injector is gummed up that you're going to see a dramatic increase in pop off pressure but you will see an increase but more importantly what will happen if the injector is dirty is that as it starts to pop off it will not atomize the fuel properly and if you don't atomize that fuel properly and break it into small particles so it could go throughout the combustion chamber you're not going to have good combustion and we'll just leave it at that so there are now a proper additive as i've always said is going to encompass an injector cleaner but if you are new to the game as far as <clears throat> advertising your diesel fuel, so you're new to the show and me preaching this, is that there are products that are strictly a high level of detergent to put into the fuel. So what they call it an injector cleaner. So what I would suggest for you to do is before you start to fully advertise your diesel fuel, or even if you are going to start to say, hey, I'm going to listen to that hot rod farmer, and I'm going to start to advertise my diesel fuel with a cetane booster and a lubricity out of everything, what you'd want to do is also buy a high concentrate of an injector cleaner formula, and you could mix that in with the other stuff. But even if you don't want to mix in with the other stuff, meaning the other products I say is cetane booster, lubricity, additive, water dispersant, cold filter, plugging point, anti-gel. I strongly suggest that you run a high concentration of injector cleaner through your engine, three, four tanks of fuel to really clean up those injectors. And then, like I said, you could also do it as a supplement if you if you buy into the theory of, of of advertising fuel. If you don't buy into the theory of advertising fuel, I'm not listening to that guy from New Jersey. To hell with him. Let him go to hell. You know, the thing basically is that I'm saying to you, instead of, you know, getting back to J.C. Whitney, instead of pulling the nozzles out or buying new nozzles or electronic ones that are expensive, that you would want to run a high dose of this product through and more than one tank of fuel because you really need to clean those injectors. And by cleaning those injectors, you're going to get better fuel economy, better performance. This is diesel, diesel engine, better performance. All right. And you're going to save the expense of having to remove those injectors. So it's an elixir in a can. All right. And I strongly suggest that you do that and do it to a, a good level. You're not going to hurt it by too much detergent, but you have to remember you can't just run one tank of fuel through it and get rid of 10 years worth of deposits. I mean, since we're on a diesel injector, and that's for gasoline, I'm not gasoline, that's for a mechanical or a common rail electronic diesel injector. So that's another good good chemical, right, in a bottle, right, elixir in a bottle that can definitely help your engine and bring you value for, for pennies on a gallon. Now, on some of these, still staying with diesels, but going with a, I'm going to say like a hybrid type of system, meaning like the Huey injectors, the uh, hydraulic electronic the unit injector, is that they also used engine oil to, and to operate them so we'll leave it at that high pressure engine oil so those injectors had two areas that needed to be be treated and would cause you problems so you had the oil side of the injector which was the engine oil and you had the the fuel side of the injector so the fuel side of the injector with the injector cleaner we spoke about that 
just now but the in, but the few but the engine oil side of the injected is a phenomena phenomenon phenomena that they call stiction which is because the engine oil is either the person was not good about the engine oil or they used cheap oil or they used the wrong oil what have you is that the the, the oil side of the injector will get gummed up and be very slow to respond give you a whole host of problems hard starting smoke lack of power knocking what have you and that's because the fuels the excuse me the oil side of the injector is sticking so there are a number of products on the market now hot shot is a brand that's one of them i think they actually kind of were the originators of this there may be some competitors but this is a product that you would put in the engine oil and by putting it in the engine you have to follow their instructions and all of these things follow the instructions i'm like i don't make no difference they're doing my way the thing is that and that you want to treat the engine oil and this is for a huey type of system and a lot of farm tractors had it uh challengers a lot of them had it so you have to if you have a huey type of and a huey style injector not type of huey style injector in a road vehicle a piece of equipment irrigation pump it, it you need to have be concerned with stiction which is the oil side of the injector and then the fuel side of the injector and if you run the stiction products through there to clean that use be remarkable the difference in performance you have so that is not an elixir but that is something we did not need to do years ago prior to that style of injector because there was no oil there no engine oil so we want to put a high dose of detergent in for the fuel side and if you have a huey style injector you want to run a stiction product through the engine oil follow the instructions you run it for so long and you dump the oil and get it out of there and you'd be surprised like i said jc would would love it because this stuff does work so now we're going to move on and we're going to get away from fuel for a few minutes and we're going to talk about a product from a spray product right in a can from permatex corporation called leak repair this stuff is unbelievable i've used this in the over the years when i had my shop i had a turbo trans am that was had a big motor done in it and i didn't do the motor i put it in and they bought it from a company in california it was a stroker 4.1 and and when and on the, that buick engine the drain back from the turbocharger would go into the timing cover and they welded the drain back excuse me from the turbo into the timing cover they put it in a different location i don't remember what it was 30 years ago but anyway and the tube the weld was porous the weld looked nice but i guess it was porous it would leak oil so that would have been a nightmare because you'd have to pull the whole front of the engine off. You have to pull the timing cover. Off. There was, it was. I mean, you'd have to pull a motor out to do that to, to do it any justice and, and put it back on there with the timing gasket, not cutting the gasket. There was, and then you know, also if you didn't get the porosity, you really it would be, probably be hard to see where it was leaking. So what happened? was that I, by God's grace, I happened to, I don't even know how I found that. It's a little spray can, and it's called Permatex Leak Repair. So I said to the customer, look, you know, I don't know, what do you want me to do? You want to pay me to pull this motor out and pull it apart? I mean, it's a brand new engine. I mean, it was a stage one Buick, but it was nice. There was no junk in it. I mean, it was a, uh, it had a, uh, had Carrillo rods, had a the Cali's crank in it. It had uh, JE pistons and big dollar, I mean, big horsepower, big dollar, but leaking oil so i said you know i heard about this stuff you want me to try it? it's like ten dollars a can and whatever I'll try it so he says yeah try it so what happened was that i followed the instructions like i said with all of these chemicals all these things i'm going to be talking about the elixirs follow the instructions i'm repeating again because the people who have a failure usually don't follow the instructions they modify them so it says clean the area with brake clean let it dry let it war- st- start the engine get that area warmer heat it up with a heat gun and then uh <clears throat> and then spray this stuff in it two or three coats and let it dry and don't start the engine well i did it and uh thank god i was able to get in there and get a pretty good spray between under the hood and putting the car up in here i was able to get a good coating around this drain back tube it was one of those things you could see and spray something on but you really couldn't get to it well let me tell you i think i spoke to that guy two or three years ago 15 years later that car still doesn't leak and subsequently i've used that on a number of things uh that like a uh a, i had another I had another car that uh somebody put a cam in it was a trans am also 
put 350 355 Chevy in it and they um, and they got they messed up the, the oil pan gasket and I said to him look I said I mean I don't want to Mickey Mouse this thing but you know to pull the oil pan off of this car then again you're pulling the engine out you want me to try to spray this stuff it's just leaking around the edge of the gasket so I've had wonderful success with it it's called Permatex leak repair you could look it up. I looked it up. It's still available. It's still made. It's in a little can. So you could use this on not just for oil, for, for all different types of liquid leaks. All right, read the instructions. It's a wonderful, wonderful product. And true, like I say, it truly is a leak repair, unlike what J.C. Whitney used to sell. So it's Permatex leak repair. You could do an internet search on it. All right. The next thing that I want to talk about, which is a tune-up in a can, is most engines today, both gasoline and diesel, use a mass airflow sensor. And that measures the incoming volume of air, excuse me, the mass of the air that comes in. And they do a calculation for that for to, to give the proper amount of fuel and the proper ignition timing, both on gasoline and common rail diesel engines with electronically controlled. So the mass airflow sensor basically is the compass, like a like a like a compass on a ship. And if you know the story of the old sailing ships, they used to have the crow's nest. And a lot of people don't know what the crow's nest was for. They thought it was to look for land. And I guess that was a secondary use. But what was found with the old sailing ships was that they could have a cargo on the deck or underneath or or in the hold of the ship that 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 would skew the compass reading. So every day what would happen is the captain would have a a sailor climb up into the crow's nest, which was far enough away from the influence of the cargo because it was up on a mast, and take a compass reading and yell it down to him, and then he would make sure that the cargo on his deck was not skewing his compass because if the compass was being skewed, then he's going to be off course and think he's going the right way, right? Well, same thing happens with a mass airflow sensor on gasoline or diesel is that the sensing element gets polluted. It gets skewed by, by, by pollution in the air. You live on a dusty road. You live out in a farm or a ranch. You know, it just gets, it gets dirty. And when, the, and when the sensing element on the mass airflow sensor gets dirty, a lot like the compass, it starts to skew. So it tells the engine the wrong amount of load that, is, that, that it is experiencing. And ultimately, because of the, it's giving it bad data, the ECU, the controller, through the calibration, gasoline or diesel, if it has a mass airflow, is making the wrong decision because it's being lied to, just like the compass on the old sailing ship would be lied to if it was influenced by the cargo. So that is so. there's a product, and, and now CRC company made that product originally. I think there are some competitors to it now. I've only used the CRC spray. I'm not saying that there's not another good one. You don't want to use brake clean. You don't want to use carburetor cleaner. And they also say some people use electronics part cleaner. And I would say, you know, this stuff is $8 a can. And if even if you have four or five vehicles and you clean it two, twice a year, the, the, the can is going to last you years. You just go, you're not spraying a, a gallon of it on there <clears throat> and wash it down. Big, big difference. Gasoline and diesel engines that have a mass airflow sensor a check engine lights, unstable idle, uh, lazy throttle response or tip and hesitation often is caused by skewed reading from the mass airflow sensor. So part of your regiment, your tune-up, your with your oil changes, is part this is your tune-up today, right? Cleaning the mass airflow sensor. So that is very, very valid. About $8 a can. Buy what brand you want, but it has to say it's four mass airflow sensors. And the only one that I have experience with is the CRC product. And in the same token, on both gasoline and diesel engines, it is imperative that you keep the throttle body clean think of it just like cleaning the throat and the air bleeds on the carburetor so there are dedicated throttle body cleaners and a lot of people years ago we used to use carburetor cleaner <clears throat> spray carburetor cleaner but you really want to buy a product that says throttle body and or carburetor cleaner and let me explain to you why is that some throttle bodies have a coating on them and the carburetor cleaner attacks it so if you have an uncoated throttle body then excuse me the carburetor cleans it's fine but i would just use it's a dollar or so more buy a product that says either carburetor and throttle body cleaner or one that says just throttle body cleaner 
and you need to keep that throttle body clean gasoline and diesel diesel common rail diesels and so they have a throttle body just like a gasoline engine does so there's like i say is that as i said in the beginning of the show today that the diesel engine became more more demanding of service and the gasoline engine became less demanding compared to what it was years ago so what you want to do is you're going to have the engine off you're going to gain access to the throttle body and you're going to spray it and clean it out with a rag and you want to do your best either with your finger or whatever if it's an older engine you can move the throttle on the gas engine to open it up and you want to clean on both sides of that butterfly it's very 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 important now keep in mind that if you're going to be spraying a lot of product in there the engine is most likely going to be hard to start afterwards all right so keep you know keep that in mind but if you use the proper product you don't need to flood it with a gallon what i like to do is spray it and they also some companies sell like little brushes that you could go in there but what you could do is you could spray it and go in there with a uh, a rag on a screwdriver and you want to try to and you want to try you want to clean the throttle bore and the throttle plate on both sides and that's going to make a big difference so that is not an elixir that with the with the mass airflow sensor cleaner and the throttle body cleaner that is going to make a big difference in the way the engine runs now another thing that i wanted to talk about is uh that we're going to talk about electronic fuel injectors which is and port style injectors which means there's an injector for each cylinder and basically in essence what happens is that those injectors build deposits on them even if you use a top tier gasoline they they build deposits on them and when they build deposits on the pintle of the injector then the injector does not atomize the fuel properly and it would be akin to a sprayer a field sprayer with a with a tip that's dirty and instead of having a nice conical atomized spray is that you're having a stream come and you have to remember that the job of a fuel injector is to uh is to atomize that fuel and break it into small particles now on a port fuel type of system which means an injector for each cylinder and the injector is in the usually in a juncture of the intake manifold and the cylinder and the runner in the cylinder head is that it uh, the injector is designed to spray against the stem of the intake valve and that is to help break the fuel apart all right and also what it will do is that if you have an additive in the gasoline it'll clean off the deposits from the intake valve so let's first talk about the injector it's imperative that you run that you run probably every three or four or five thousand miles depending upon the use you have if you put ten thousand miles a year in a car you probably want to do at least three times a year if you put fifty thousand miles well and it's all highway you could probably get away but this stuff is cheap uh, there's a lot of excellent products out there i particularly am i like chevron tecron but there has to be has to be the complete fuel systems cleaner there's i know that that uh seafoam has a product there's a lot of good products out there but what you need to read the label is say that it cleans the injector and the combustion chamber and the intake valve because the intake valve will build carbon deposits and so will the combustion chamber spoke about the combustion chamber being the crown of the piston the floor of the combustion chamber and this is going to affect a lot of things the way the engine runs starts fuel economy power all right as you build deposits on the intake valve not only is it going to wick in the fuel as the injector sprays against it and and it and cause the engine to be lean and idle and at higher speeds higher velocity through the port pull some of that fuel out and rich in the mixture but it's going to impede airflow and that's very common today to build a lot of deposits and it was common years ago all right so the thing is that you need to put a product in and that is going to attack both the clean the injector and is going to remove the deposits what they call ivd intake valve deposits and ccd combustion chamber deposits now not all products do that if the if the bottle is labeled just as an injector cleaner then it's only going to clean the pintle of the injector so it'll be like one mode of action with a herbicide with a pesticide on the farm so uh it's only going to do one thing but a product that is labeled to be a 
a complete fuel systems cleaner which says that it's as clean and it cleans intake valve deposits and the combustion chamber deposits along with the injector then that is something that that's what you want you don't want just an injector cleaner that's added to the gasoline then again <clears throat> keep in mind that if you are not good with this if you have 30 40 000 miles worth of deposits you're not going to put six dollars worth of cleaner in the tank one time and get rid of those deposits so you're going to need to do it. what i could do is two or three tanks back to back so you could really loosen that stuff up and then keep doing it you know want to get yourself a regular schedule every two three four thousand miles to put in the tank now keep in mind a lot of farmers have older gasoline farm tractors all right or where they have gasoline engines on the seat tender lawn lawn tractor what have you that it does not have to be fuel injected so this these these products work just as well in the carbureted application and the dynamics of building the carbon deposits on the valve and on the piston crown are the same on a lawnmower engine as it is with a port fuel injected engine the thing is that what happens is that on overlap when both valves are open that the fumes and the blow by comes back there and the deposits actually form on the valve so it's something on all my gasoline engines i run this i run a product i actually run tech run through my lawnmower i treat the gas my chainsaw what have you all right so you need to basically do that that's very very important specifically with a port fuel injected engine now we're going to move on to what they call gasoline direct injection which is di very common today on all different types of engines a lot of a lot of naturally aspirated and turbocharged engines are direct injection and a lot of them run i did a show on this but direct injection there it's acting it's acting like a diesel where the injector is is spraying right into the and right into the cylinder bore so the valve is never seeing any fuel so a, a product like a tecron or injector cleaner is not going to remove the deposits from the intake valve and because the intake valve is never being washed by the gasoline that they have a propensity to build a lot of deposits and these deposits will cause a misfire check engine like when it's cold a rough idle hard starting uh degradation of performance degradation of fuel economy could cause a ping or a knock on the light load so it's very important for you to keep after this so on a di engine direct injections a lot of these engines have both port fuel injection and they have di all right direct injection the thing is that they run most of the time when they're going down the road on the di not the port so what you need to do is still treat the gasoline with a product that's going to clean the injector and will get into the cylinder and help clean the piston but you need to have a di cleaner to clean the valve and what that basically is is then again i'm going back to crc company they have an excellent product and what you basically do is that you gain access they have some videos on it in essence you 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 don't spray it through the mass airflow sensor you run the engine high idle and the cannabis is about 13 or 14 dollars you follow the instructions they tell you to run it through you do spurts you have somebody help you hold the engine at high speed and then you spray it no wait spray it like this and what it basically is is that what is found is that uh that these deposits that are forming in on the valves and gasoline direct injection engines can be loosened up and eliminated and burned off by a a, a polyether amine so it's abbreviated pla that's the chemical that is going to remove them and we know that the term amine we use a lot in crop protection chemicals and the definition of an amine is that it has a basic nitrogen atom and it has a <clears throat> it has a lone pair of electrons so if you see uh if you see uh 2,4-D amine you see uh or dicamba amine so so the the definition of an amine basic definition for our level for the show in chemistry there's a basic nitrogen atom with a lone pair of electrons so this so a polyether amine is what destroys or uh, loosens up and allows these valve deposits intake valve deposits on direct injection engines and also a lot of these engines are turbocharged like the ford eco boost the 
so the GM engines, the a lot of them are out there turbocharged. And what this what this poly polyether excuse me, not ester polyether amine will also do is clean because they build deposits on the turbocharger. So they they build deposits on the on on the compressor wheel of the turbocharger. So that is something that cleans it. Now this the CRC chemical that I'm talking about, there are competitors to it. You make your own decision. All right, I'm not saying that they're not good. I'm sure that they're excellent also. Follow the instructions, but the most important thing is that you need to realize that the uh, that this needs to have a, a, uh, a residence time, a soaking time. So the, basically the instructions are run it through the engine, get the engine warm, run it through the engine, empty the can, shut the engine off, let it sit for an hour because they want this chemical to wick into those deposits, start the engine and you need to take it for a ride for 10 or 15 miles and you need to jump on it a couple of times to get the velocity up and heat up to blow this stuff out. So follow the instructions. If you have a gasoline direct en- direct injection engine, your wife's SUV, your car, your pickup truck, this needs to be, this is not an elixir, this needs to be a part of your service because otherwise you're going to have a lot of problems. You could end up having a failed catalytic converter, a plug catalytic converter, misfire codes. It's, it's, and you don't want these deposits to form to such a level that they go from being soft deposits to hard deposits that you physically have to take the engine apart. So keep that in mind. So there's, it's, uh, I think it's called CRC direct injection turbo cleaner you could look it up they have an all it's about 14 dollars a can follow the instructions you may they tell you if you're going to do two treatments do them a thousand miles apart because you want to burn some of that off but on a di engine put a good cleaner in the tank because that's going to clean the, the, the inside the injector and help to clean the deposits off the piston crown it's going to do nothing for minimal for, nothing for for the intake valve and then use this product and that's going to be your 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 true true elixir your true tune-up all right so we went through that another thing i wanted to go through and i think i went through my whole list here is that uh you have a lot of and this is for gasoline engines could be older engines specifically older engines is that even though you're going to run a product through hopefully after listening to me that's going to be a good fuel systems cleaner in a gasoline like i said a lawnmower old john deere gas tractor old ford gas tractor oh my neighbor has an old case combine a 73 with a slant six chrysler the combine is gorgeous all right it's got slant six chrysler and they're all going to have deposits carbon deposits diesel fuel and gasoline is a hydrocarbon based fuel it's going to result in carbon deposits so but this is for gasoline what you could do is that the general motor sells an excellent chemical and i think they call it throttle body and top engine cleaner it used to be called just top engine cleaner and it works excellently as a piston soak and what you basically do is you pull the spark plugs out of the engine and with the engine cold obviously and you pour i like to pour about an ounce or so per cylinder inside this engine inside each bore and let it sit I like to let it sit overnight. What you're going to do then is you're going to pull the plugs back out. I just put them back in finger tight. You're going to disconnect the coil, and you could either you could either um, turn it over by hand or bump the starter, and you want to push the liquid out, whatever is left of the liquid that then can wicked into the carbon or go past the rings. At that particular point, you're going to want to drain the oil because some of them went into the oil and then you're going to start you can drain the oil cold and you're going to start the engine all right and you're going to start it up and you're going to take it for a ride and it's going to smoke the more it smokes that means the more carbon it had and you're going to take it for a ride and you're going to drive it like you stole it you're going to whack this thing all right don't get a ticket but you're going to whack it and you're going to be surprised what that is going to do so it's going to get and you know you could do that on a lawnmower engine you could do it on a seed an old garden tractor engine you could do it on an old pickup truck you could do it on a modern engine all right but but it's harder to access everything on a modern engine but if you use the other chemicals but this is really going to give you so if you have an older gasoline engine on a farm and what happened was that it was uh 
carboned up then i would do the piston soak and then i would start to use a in-tank fuel cleaner like i discussed and that will make a world of difference it's not going to rebuild it it's not going to stop your oil leaks it's not going to do anything like that but all of these chemicals are the modern chemicals that truly truly work and they should be part of your toolbox on your farm and part of your maintenance schedule on your farm equipment and any type of engine gasoline or diesel that you have if you have any questions any concern with this please feel free to reach out to me at farmmachinerydigest.com and now we're going to get ready for Texu Binowitz from Ripsaw Records come on in Texas and get ready for your toolbox test Yeah, righty. Here's our toolbox test. All right, you are looking over your combine, getting it ready for harvest, and you notice that the aluminum radiator has a number of small pinholes and is beginning to leak. You smelled coolant when you put it away last year, but thought nothing of it. You pull the radiator out, and it and it has small holes in different places, some in the tubes and others in the tank. You figure it is best just to get a new one. You do not know where the pinholes came from. Which farmer is correct? Farmer A says that the machine has a bad ground circuit and it's causing electrolysis and making the holes. Farmer B told you that mice and field rats are nibbling on the aluminum over the winter since you found a nest near one of the holes. Farmer C is well convinced that the antifreeze is bad and rusting the radiator and farmer d told you not to buy that color combine right so there's always a farmer d who's going to move it away from the microphone here is going to tell you that the reason is because you brought the wrong brand you think about that and i'm going to get to this letter here and this is from joff and sally mcmullen in atwater at 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 wood i was going to say at water at wood ontario and they are dairy farmers there and i want to thank you so much for listening all right so uh so basically what joff writes to me says i have a two-tone red and gray that was 1988 dodge ram pickup truck that my grandfather bought new that i learned to drive in i take it out for a few runs each year but unfortunately it sits in the old barn for 11 months of the year i love the sound of the 318 it is in good shape and it only has around 250,000 kilometers kilometers not miles but some body work is needed if i am lucky i hope to have it look as nice as some of the vehicles in howie's shop one day i send as an aside i send joff to my website under the community section a friend of mine howie polter up in canada who's not that far from joff has beautiful collection of of hot rods and cars there so he went there to see he went to my website to see his pictures so one thing that the truck has done since it was new was that when you put it in drive it jerks or jolts into gear you have to be hard on the brake when moving from neutral to drive almost like it idles a little high until it is in gear any idea why this happens well yes i do have a couple of ideas why it happens <clears throat> the thing is that i think in 1988 well here in the states an 88 ram pickup dodge ram with a 318 would have had throttle body injection which actually was a great system compared to the carburetor but regardless with two dynamics real quickly without having your charlotte says lots of times when i explain stuff to people their eyes roll up in their head and i'm not saying that your eyes will jeff but she tells me i go into too much detail so the thing basically is is that on an emission controlled vehicle which obviously that is when any engine when it cranks right a a, it it introduces fuel through a carburetor or fuel injections irrelevant and some of that fuel does not burn off and that's called hydrocarbons it's a hydrocarbon emission and what basically happens is that the epa in the canadian vehicles had to pass the federal united states epa testers they may have had something different in canada but they usually went off the epa federal test here in the united states is that they have what they call a two-minute emission test and this two-minute emission test measures it weighs the emissions that come out of the tailpipe during the first two minutes of operation when the engine is the dirtiest because it's cold well what happens is that the cranking fuel all does not always what does not burn completely off so the common protocol especially back then what i'm saying because you didn't have if it was throttle body injection or carburetor or even a port injection is to flare the idle speed up 
to what they would call to burn off the HC, to burn off the hydrocarbons and get the catalytic converter to light off, but mostly to burn off the hydrocarbons. So it was probably very common if it was injected for it to burn off the HC and flare that idle speed up a little bit more than you would normally want it to happen. Now, the other thing that comes into play is that during that same era, for to get fuel economy, they had very tight torque converters. And if you listen to my show a week or two ago, I think it was last week, about torque converter stall speed. So you put together a high flare up, an idle flare up. If you look, most EFI engines go, and they start them and they come down. The newer ones, the newer ones the past five or 10 years weren't exaggerated as it was back, back years ago. And that's to burn off the hydrocarbons and to get velocity through the exhaust to get the cat to light off. So that is that. And then the other thing that would come into play is that they would have a very tight torque converter. So you put that together, you put a flare off, a, a flare up to get the hydrocarbons to burn off <clears throat> and you get the uh, tight torque converter, then it was going to bang going, it, it's going to tug like that going into gear. Now, I don't know how long you're letting it idle, whether you're letting it, what we would call in engineering, decay out the idle speed. So if you were to start it, and let's say if you, even on a hot restart, it's going to do a flare up to burn off the HC. So if you let it, if you wait a couple of seconds and you decay, let the idle speed decay off, does it still tug as hard going into gear? And if it tugs as hard going into gear, and since it did it since new, I would say that it probably has a very tight torque converter. And if the torque converter is starting to, starting to, if the stall speed is 11, 1200 RPM, then you'd probably have 70 or 80% of that stall at 900 RPM, and that's what you're feeling. Now, there's also the possibility that something is misadjusted as far as the idle speed or the flare-up is concerned. So I know that you listened to the show, so please get back to me. And I want to know, is that that when you so if the engine was warm so let's say arguably you came to uh, came into town and you stopped to talk to somebody and you put it in park all right you put it in park and you let the engine idle and you say joe i'll see you later in the coffee shop and you put it in gear put a reverse to go away does it bang then and also can you tell me more or less from what you could glean the idle speed is it probably 88 dodge probably doesn't have a tachometer but does it seem to be idling very high because the fuel injection could be misadjusted i personally think that it's a combination of a tight torque converter and the flare up now if it's just a flare up if you wait 10 seconds or 15 seconds for it to degrade out it may not jolt that hard all right so but you send me an email joff and i'd like to continue this with you and i could also continue it on the show because at this particular point it's either just a combination of things that are happening there's nothing wrong or the idle speed is a little bit too high so i went long on the show today but we got to get our toolbox test question answer and farmer a has the correct reason so the pinholes, the combine has a weak ground circuit somewhere, and that is causing electrolysis. The electrons are finding ground through the coolant and are eating away at the aluminum. If the ground is not repaired, the new radiator will fail in the same way. So just keep in mind, whenever you see random pinholes in, in, in aluminum or even in a copper brass radiator, when you see random pinholes, that historically it is electrolysis, and an electrolysis is usually defined as a bad ground where it's using the coolant as a ground path and that aluminum or that copper brass but historically aluminum becomes sacrificial and as the electricity is going through looking for ground a ground path that's eating it away so pinholes numerous pinholes a heater core radiator intercooler whatever may be liquid intercooler is indicative of a bad ground circuit so hopefully you guys enjoyed the show i went a little bit long again today but thank you so much for listening and jc whitney would be proud and if you didn't if you were if you weren't familiar with jc whitney then do an internet search and find an old jc whitney catalog and i'm sure you'll love looking at this and thank you so much for for listening to me today and there at the hot rod farmers pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved america you have a blessed blessed day and i'll catch you next week bye bye